This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, it is a great day for talk radio. It's the Friday edition as we edge ever closer to that elusive weekend, although uh, we wouldn't really recognize any significant difference. Still staying landlocked and at home, working from the home studio uh, since the midweek and going forward, too, as we continue to, I guess, confront this drab virus. That all being said, uh, we know the government's doing their best, or so many would say, uh, on several levels. Conrad Black may not be one of them, though. The noted author, commentator, and historian has joined the Oakley Show at Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Conrad, good afternoon. Hope you're healthy and uh, stay insane. I, I'm, I'm in excellent health, thanks. Enjoying the first sign of spring weather, and uh, I don't mind being at home. <laughs> All right. Well, well yeah, okay. I like, uh, I get on well, you know, so it's not, it's not bad. <laughs> I, I went out to dinner last night, and and uh, I had to drive between uh, downtown, south of, substantially south of Blur Street, and Thornhill, and I made it in, in, in 20 minutes. There, there were about four cars on the 407 and 20 cars on the 404, Don Valley. So. There's something to be said for this thing. Oh, well, okay. Uh, putting a silver lining on an otherwise pretty bleak cloud. But insofar, Conrad, let me ask you, I mean, because uh, I'm reading your piece uh, that's in the Post tomorrow online here, and you're talking about the government's management of this as being somewhat incompetent. Tell us about it. Why do you feel that way? Well, uh, my it, it was a variety of reasons. Uh, but the, the thing that scandalized me was the effrontery of them even asking, now they backed down quickly, but asking for uh, the power to tax, borrow, or spend anything they wanted without reference to Parliament until the end of 2021. Uh, as I pointed out in my piece, when Mr. Churchill was installed as Prime Minister in 1940, with, with, with the war going very badly, uh, and he was the head of a national unity, all-party government, 100% support from the British people, and all powers were delegated to the War Cabinet except the power to tax. Uh, I mean, even in those circumstances, Parliament didn't yield that. And and here they are glibly coming forward and asking for it. Now they, they stepped back when it was resisted by the leader of the opposition but and, and all the opposition parties. But uh, in, in I did make this point. I, I think that the financial relief program is too bureaucratic to be really efficient and, and timely enough to help those who most need it. And and I, and I suspect the amounts are not adequate to save a great many small businesses. So I think they're going to have to revisit that. That is point one. And point two is, uh, on the other hand, uh, while well, I don't think that they've responded well or believably or done anything other than pallidly imitate other countries, the fact is we have a population of 38 million. As of yesterday, we had 37 people dead from this virus, and 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 uh, and, uh, and that represent and about 3,800, 37 to 3,800 identified cases. So we have uh, next to Germany the lowest percentage of fatalities among identified cases. I mean, amongst countries with sophisticated health systems whose whose published figures you can you can take seriously. I don't want to talk about China or something where they just make it up. Iran. But um, uh, so the actual results are good. And now the fact is, I think the reason the results are good is that the emergency has been overstated. But you can't actually say the government has failed because our results are very competitive. But I, I don't. But I'm not impressed with what they've done. 
All right. Uh, there's two issues here then. I mean, the overreaction, which may or may not still, uh, I mean, I guess we're waiting for what the health authorities are projecting could be uh, another worse week still to come because we're sort of in that phase uh, before anything starts to flatten out as a result of all the social isolation and distancing and what have you. Uh, but on the matters of the economic or the physical relief, you're saying that uh, there's still an upgrade to come, an upgrade on the upgrade, so to speak. They haven't done enough. I mean, in the States, they're talking about ratifying now a $2.2 trillion package. And when Larry Kudlow... $4 trillion uh, liquidity measures, uh, which which aren't money given away. But, you know, when, when you basically have zero interest rates, you can loan money, and it's tantamount to the same thing for, for a long time. So you know, it's a six trillion package. It's fairly impressive, and and uh, instead of a bureaucratic process to get it, it, it is in effect an insurance scheme for employers. The government will pay the payrolls as long as they retain the employees, even if the employees can't actually function. Uh, that's a far more efficient system than what we've got, from what I see. Yeah, as a matter of fact, one of the criticisms is that some of these folks uh, who may not have qualified uh, are going to go on some kind of assistance that will pay them more than what they were making previously or weren't making at all. Uh, in, the, that's in, just, in the United you know, States. Yeah, in the United States. Well, yeah, but nobody's... But there is one thing to keep in mind here, keep constantly in mind in respect of that and similar comments about that country. They do have an election in November. And this president has taken more outrageous flack and harassment from his opponents than any president in history, not excluding Richard Nixon. And, and he has put through a measure, passed unanimously in the Senate, and almost unanimously, I understand, in the House, uh, and, and it will leave people with a fat pay packet as they go to the election uh, stations, the, the polling places, like happened with Lel singing, hi-ho, I'm going to vote for our president. <laughs> oh, I'd hate to think this was all politically motivated. I thought no, it was it for the general... But, but, but there is politics in it, and let's not kid ourselves. There's politics in the demands of the Democrats to keep everything shut down for six months. I mean, the mayor of New York, wants he wanted everything shut down for six months and the army to supervise it. As if members of the army were immune to catching the virus. But you don't need the, by the army way, to supervise people staying at home. What is the army, by the way, this uh, prospect of about 1,000 troops, U.S. troops stationed 30 miles off the Canadian border? What is that all about? Well, I, I, I don't know what it's about, but it, it's, it's come down from the initial concept as publicized. And I, I have to confess, I don't know what actually happened, but the press reports I saw were that they were, they were going to post actual serving members of the U.S. Army along the border at, at various places. And, and, I, and I agreed entirely with our prime minister that I was, I would be a terrible thing to do. It's a, it, it would be a bad signal. It would be a break of 150 years with no uniformed armed people on the border other than normal customs people, and I, there are very few of them actually carry arms, I mean firearms, and, and, uh, uh, and it would just be an altogether bad thing and totally unnecessary. And I, 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 but look, if the Americans want to put uh, some army, army units 30 miles inside the border, I don't think you know, that's their business. That's just, you know, they're just as well, uh, well off there as at Fort Bragg or someplace. You know, why not? <laughs> Again, with Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Let me ask you, as a historian, and uh, I know you've written about this, but, you know, where we're uh, going now with 
increasing, you know, uh, the bailout and uh, all the rest of these things, you know, big government programs. We saw this with the New Deal and FDR in the states, and what it really did was increase big government, and sometimes there's no retreat afterwards when things get back to normal. Do you maybe foresee that as problematic here in this country? I, I, I think it could. Yeah, I, I think you there, you just have to be vigilant and, and, and ask that the relatively conservative parties make their make their case well, that, you know, we want enough government, but not too much. I mean, in the case of Roosevelt, uh, there is no doubt that at the, at the worst of the Depression, the, the, when the government was facing a 30 percent unemployment rate with no direct relief for them, they, they employed, uh, they, uh, of that 30 percent for a time, they employed about two-thirds of them in conservation jobs and public works jobs that, that um that, that were a huge benefit to the country and, and at least got these people earning money and sending money home and so forth. And uh, But as, as soon as the private sector could take them on, those the, the public roles came down. And uh, ultimately, of course, the war came. But at the end of the war, the private sector came back stronger than ever. So it, it didn't permanently expand government in that sense. So Roosevelt did expand the powers exercised by government to some degree. But uh, you, you, we, we have to look, we have to trust the people. We're democratic countries, and in the end, the people decide, and we have to rely on the political factions to argue their points well. And in this case, that you mentioned, that, that those who, who want government to do what it does best, but leave to the people what they do best, to, to make their voices heard if, if you get a, a, you know, an overpowerful government. And, and, and it is a danger. And the, the the increase in the public sector is terribly expensive. Let me ask you finally, Conrad, because a lot of people are feeling the pinch, needless to say, and uh, they're clamoring. I get these emails uh, on a daily basis now. They want the banks to lower, for example, credit card rates. Uh, they'd like to see mortgage rates perhaps uh, lowered, rent deferrals, all these things. Is that something that the banks should be doing? Should the government compel them to do these kinds of things? Uh, yeah, that, look, I, I'm a capitalist, uh, but I, I, I think, I'll tell you this, I think it would be a smart move if the banks as a group, there are only really six big banks in the country, and um, if as a group they voluntarily cut their frankly almost usurious rates on their credit cards, I mean, they, they do, those interest rates are, they're pretty steamy, you know, and, uh, and, and, uh, if they unilaterally did it, I think they would get a huge amount of goodwill for doing it. If they don't do that, I could not, even though I was a director of one of the big banks for nearly 30 years, I could not uh, bring myself to complain if the government required them to cut them at least temporarily. I, I, that I can see. On the mortgage thing, I don't know about cutting rate, but they, I'm, I'm certainly in favor of allowing it to accrue and, and, and f f prohibiting foreclosures for the balance All right. of well, emergency. As they say in a game show, good answer. Uh, I appreciate it very much, Conrad. <laughs> Wish you stay may, healthy. May I just and, say uh, one thing, John, just in, in end here? Mm. The, the, the other model on how to handle this uh, coronavirus thing is the Netherlands. They haven't done basically anything except protect the old people, keep the old people or the ill, you know, the people who aren't well or, or are vulnerable, uh, isolated as much as they can. Apart from that, people go where they want, play 
soccer games or whatever they want uh, and assemble in whatever numbers they want. And their rate of illness is, is one full percent below France's, which is on lockdown and forced by the French army. Interesting, because Sweden's following the same policy, and uh, there's a real divide insofar as opinion how this is going to play out. So uh, they're rolling the dice on that. UK started down that road, and uh, they reversed course, and now we see where Boris Johnson, your buddy, has fallen ill, uh, albeit mild, he's, he's but he's in isolation. He'll set a yeah, okay. I, I, I'll make a bet, and there's no disrespect to the royal family. I bet he recovers faster than the Prince of Wales. All right. All right. In the absence of sports, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of bookies who will start taking that bet. Uh, I appreciate it as always, Conrad. Have a great weekend. Hope to talk next Friday. Same to you, John. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Conrad Black, author, commentator, historian on The Oakley Show every Friday at this time. Thanks for listening to The John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 